Episode number 50. Can you believe that? Hard to believe, man. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe we survived five of these, let alone 50. More importantly, I've survived 50 of these with you. Right. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> Great, Great point. point. You are listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAtee. Other co-hosts, you may have seen walking out of great clubs with a big old smile on his face. You may have seen him at a dirt track. Most recently, this past weekend, we are joined by the one and only Scott Bowie. Hello, Aaron. How are you, buddy? I am doing great. So like we said, episode number 50. Man, Crazy. it's a good one too, right? Yep. The mayor of Hinstown, James Hinscliffe. The mayor of Hinstown. Man, funny dude. Nice guy. Hope to have him back sometime. Uh, he is the perfect number 50 uh, to have. And uh, just so glad uh, we've been able to do 50 of these and uh, much of it to your hard, hard efforts in getting guests and putting new shows together. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You're here for the, um, you're here for something. I don't know what yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, um, I just, uh, man, what a great weekend. Um, got to do a little racing this weekend with my nephew. Shout out to him and my brother. Uh, they, Ran their the Honda Midget Motor they built. They ran it for the first time this weekend, and it ran excellent. He ran well. Uh, he missed making the show at Ducoin by one spot. He hasn't raced in two years. Uh, he was right there with Justin Grant and, oh, well, not Justin Grant, but he was right there with like Jerry Coons Jr. and guys <laughs> like that. They were in the B main, and and uh, shout out to him. He did an excellent job. Got to hang out with uh, one of our very first guests, Spike Gillhausen. He went with us and uh, had a great time with Spike. Uh, Ted Hines. uh, Some people know him as Tracy's brother. I always call Tracy Ted's brother. And um, he went with us. We had just such a great time. Another uh, friend of the show, Kellen Conover, was there. So it was a great weekend. Really enjoyed it. Thank you to Lauren Stewart for putting it on uh shamrock midget classic and Ducoin, illinois and in, in, indoor race uh she paid 10 grand to win last night justin grant walked away with that um thomas mesrell led the early part he danny drynan has been working on his car this year and he was an absolute rocket ship and unfortunately he got crashed in lap traffic kind of a no-fault deal just what happens in indoor racing uh but uh man what a great weekend of racing had a great time how many cars made the main? Uh, 20 or 22. Um, and how many cars were actually trying to make it? 34. Like, we showed up late. So we so we didn't run Friday. And it was done with passing points. Mm-hmm. So he showed up. Uh, so what they did, so to give him a chance to be able to make the show, he put it, they put him at the tail of a qualifier, and they gave him – Let's say if he just made the most minimum points you could make on Friday night. And so that's where he started. He started last in the qualifier. He got up to third, running behind uh, Justin Grant. And uh, 
maybe Daniel Robinson or Will Armadige. I, I don't remember which. And uh, he, you know, he raced against some really good cars to get there. On a restart, he made a little mistake, got passed. Uh, he ran fourth, which was fine. He still scored a ton of points. Starting uh, up close to the front in the B main. And he just, we didn't have the car just good enough. It was good early, not good enough late in the race. And he, you know, drove his ass off, missed the show by one spot. Not his fault. Uh, but he showed himself well. He did a great job. Hopefully he can race a little bit more this year, get some laps under him again. And uh, he can go and have fun. Hopefully this motor lasts. Uh, they put so much work into it. Uh, I couldn't be any more prouder uh, than I am. They, Like I said, they just... I mean, a lot of hard work and effort and time they put into it. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great weekend. Great weekend of racing. Like I said, Lauren Stewart uh, just put on such a great event. It's a really, that's a neat racing facility. Uh, it's in, like I said, it's indoors, the Illinois State Fairgrounds in DuCoin. Um, and it was pretty close to sold out. And uh, car counts were a little low. I think it's because of the weather. Right. But, all in all, it doesn't matter. They still put on a hell of a show. Yeah, I really wish I was able to make it, but I already have plans to go camping, which turned into cold weather winter camping, um, which you don't expect. Yes. Down, I was down by Kentucky, Tennessee area. It's not supposed to be that cold this time of year, but it was. Um, it was like 20 degrees, but I stayed warm. So Yeah, yeah. luckily they had indoor spots, so we, we got to pit inside. Uh, so all in all... Like I said, they, it was a really well done weekend by all. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just it was a great, great show. Yep, definitely. Um, looks like you know he he got the result that he was kind of looking for. Obviously, I'm sure he wanted to make the make the main, but um, for not yeah, racing but, two I years, mean, that's impressive, right? Yeah, you racing two years. It's a brand new motor. They've, he's only run this car itself just a handful of times. Uh, so big learning curve and it's just really, I mean, they, they did a great job and I, I mean, hopefully you can just continue building on it. Of course, gas prices being what they are is going to hamper a lot of people's racing, help. I think. Right. Uh, so hopefully that gets roomy did some at some time. I don't know if it will or not, but hopefully it does. Well, I don't think there's a whole lot of racing news. One, I, I guess the, the biggest thing is um, Drive to Survive Season 4, I believe it is now, just came out on Netflix. Um, a lot of people, if people are listening to this, I'm guessing you have probably, you're probably watching it because a lot of people watch that. Pretty pretty big hit. I've, I'm already probably 75% done with Season 4, so um, it's, it's really good. I, I was talking to our good buddy um, Patrick Patton from Racer Collect, by the way. Racing memorabilia. If you're looking for anything, go to racercollect.com. And we'll actually talk about Patrick because he is mentioned by James Hinscliffe because Hinscliffe actually um, sells some of his stuff on his site. So if you're looking for any James Hinscliffe memorabilia, definitely um, go to racercollect.com. But yeah, I was talking to Patrick and he's he's already, I think he said he's already watched it all like in the first, like second day or something. So <laughs> very addicting. Um, I don't know if you watched it, Scott, but if you haven't, definitely. I watched the first season. I haven't yeah. really watched after that, but I, I did watch the first season. It's really well done. Um, you know, I, I mean, and, and, you know, it's been a big boost to F1. And 
Oh yeah. I know NASCAR is kind of scrambling to do a show and IndyCar is kind of scrambling to do a show like it. I don't know if, I don't know if the copycats are going to make as big an impact, but. And they kind of did one for, I mean, they did the Bubba Wallace documentary um, and they include some of the other NASCAR drivers as well, but it's mostly focused on Bubba. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, we talk, I forget who we talked to this about, and this may be one we haven't even released yet. But I don't know if like IndyCar and NASCAR has the personalities to to make this work or just the environment all together. I mean, it's more than just the people. I mean, there's so many things that have to work together. And obviously that's working well for Formula One. But the question is, would that work for IndyCar and would that work for NASCAR? And I forget what guests we had a conversation with it, a intensive it was conversation. Either, it was either David Land, who is a yeah. future episode, or um maybe Jack Root who will be our guest next week. Yep. Um, so it, it may have right. been one of those, but I, I would lean toward David land. Yeah, I bet it was. I think you're right. Yep. Now there, there is some other racing news. Uh, Mitchell, Indiana's own chase Briscoe gets his first cup win today, driving for Tony Stewart. Big, big deal for him, his family, all of his fans, uh, the open wheel community, uh, really surrounds him and, and, you know, really, uh, embraces, uh, Chase. So congratulations to him. Uh, Indiana's got themselves another race winner in NASCAR. Absolutely. I think, I think that's number eight. I think that's the eighth different person to win oh, really? in NASCAR or six or eight. There, there was somebody put out a list today. I don't remember hmm. which. Well, there is um so there's something we were gonna do. We were gonna so th there's been people who who comment regularly on our YouTube videos, and we need to really get better with um you know mentioning some of these people. Please, if if you haven't, uh, make a comment on a video. Um, you know, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Hit like and subscribe if you haven't already. But yeah, I mean, if you're listening to the episode and there's you have input about something or a question or whatever, just leave a comment and we'll try to um. Try to get to him. I think it was Steven who agreed with me about Star Wars, and he's absolutely correct. The first three, and I realize that's not what people call them, but I will call them the first three since they were the first three released with the most minimal amount of uh, edits and CG add-ons are the three to watch. Uh, other than that, Star Wars is just, uh, it's rough for me to watch. I can't, I can't sit through the others. Right. I've seen, well, I, so I said, I actually said that I haven't seen any of them. Um, and I, I guess I, I don't know what to say. I lied. I forgot. Gabrielle made my girlfriend made me watch the first one or two right when we started dating like five years ago. So it's been a while. So I have seen it. I don't remember it. I've seen at least part of the first one, but that's right. It. So I, I've seen it at least. I've seen more than, um, our good buddy, Jagger Jones. Yeah, Jagger. I think Jagger at this point's got his heels dug in. I don't think he's going to watch him. Well, if you know, hey, if I was Jagger's age and I was I was in college and I had all those fancy lights all around me and the and the That's virtual right. reality goggles, I probably wouldn't be watching Star Wars either. To be completely honest with you, no, he 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 could definitely spend his time in better ways than watching Star Wars at this point in his life. Absolutely, and I do not blame him at all. No, nor do I. <laughs> but um. But yeah, no, um, yeah, Steven, he's he's been a big fan of the show. He I think he watches every single one, like almost right when they come out. So we really appreciate it. And he's actually bought 
um, a lot of race 92 merch. Um, he's a good friend with David Lane as well. And no, actually we need to have him on at some point, um, for a little bit because he actually, I know he does a lot of like cart racing and stuff. Um, so it'd be cool, but no, we really appreciate it. And like I said, yeah, whoever's watching, you know, leave a comment. We definitely like to, um, like to look at comments and, you know, if you have criticism for Scott, Scott loves criticism. Hey man, bring it on. That's all I gotta say. Just make sure you get my name right. Yeah, no, yeah. I hey, amen. I, I really do take criticism. Like if you if there if I say something or do something, please let me know that you know if you don't like it or if there's something hey, I say you me. do like, please let me know. So the internet uh, will yeah, eventually it, it will all be handled by the internet. And by the way, so Steven made a comment because in one of our last episodes, we met you mentioned Dr. Stephen Olvey, which kind of gave out a little hint. Um, so I, I will say, Stephen, your your um, your question. The answer to the question is yes, but we're still a few weeks away from that. Yeah, and that was such fun, and uh, in terms of just learning and getting knowledge, um, you know, he told us so many things and um, that I didn't know, and things that weren't in in the book, rapid response, and uh, so I. Or yeah, or in the movie. So I, I was very thankful for him to share so many details. Um, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one being released, and I'm looking forward. I actually uh, made contact with some potential guests while at the at the race in Ducoin, and three people I find very interesting. Uh, hopefully, get their times lined out and get them on uh, here in the next month or so, uh, and I think people will find their stories really interesting. Yeah. And we're actually got um, a couple other things planned. So I think in April, we're going to do this. The And I forget, I don't even know what we're going to call it yet. Something like week of women in racing or. Yeah. Like just like a, I mean, basically it's going to be just a, in a way, um, a tip of the hat to women in auto racing um, who are at, very not just drivers, but who do various things in the sport. And uh, this was something that um, was based on an idea that Robin gave me. And uh, the original guest she had the idea for, we still haven't reached out to, but we will in the future uh, try to get her on. Uh, but these, um, the, the people we've got lined up kind of cover different levels of the sport. And um, I'm very excited for this. I, I don't think... Um, I, I just don't think women get their due in a lot of things and, and especially in motorsports and, and they, they just add so much to so many different levels. So, yeah, we may spread it out in two weeks. I don't know yet because we may have more than five. So we'll probably maybe two months if we just cram five into people's lives for a week, every single day. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we definitely will we'll release. I mean, whether it be we need at least three, a day or two between, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll release three a week or something. I mean, we'll, we're still trying to figure it out, but we want to definitely give time for people to watch and, and enjoy the ones that are released. We've recorded at least four of them or five of them, I think. Um, and I think we, we have a couple five. more. Yeah, we have a couple more. We have at least one this week, um, and then there's a couple more we're working on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, yeah, it's just I, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to you know, that we're going to be able to do that showcase, uh -huh. um, here shortly as well. 
Absolutely. You know what? You know a lot of people talk about doing things like that. You know, some what women need more representation, or this group needs more, but they never actually go out and do it. So I'm glad that we're actually going out and and doing what we're saying. You know, like in the you know behind the scenes, we're actually going to make these kind of shows happen, and then that way these people get to tell their stories. Absolutely. And, you know, these people, um, well, first off, like we've had, obviously we've had Lynn St. James on it. She kind of made a Absolutely. similar thing about people, you know, they do something one year and then they don't do it again or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's too bad we couldn't really incorporate her into this some way or another. But um, yeah, and a lot of these people, I mean, some of these people you've probably heard of and some of these people you haven't, but that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, it's just so people kind of get more recognition of some of the, you know, really unsung heroes of racing. And, you know, some of the more notable names as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to do it. Yeah, do we? Do you have anything else, Scott? You know, I really don't. Um, just I hope everybody has a great week. Please enjoy number 50. And uh, if you got any comments, just leave them. Yep, and like we said, next week is legendary TV and that. I guess you can call him a TV announcer. He's more known for being a pit reporter, but he did, I mean, he did like college football. He did tons of stuff. Um, Jack yeah. Root, and he has a podcast, Wind Tunnel. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't. But yeah, Jack Root is a great It's, it's great. It, it, yeah. it really is great. It's a really great show. Yep. Well, I hope everyone enjoys James Hinscliffe. And um, yeah, thanks for watching. Make sure you hit like and subscribe on YouTube and check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening and watching. Our guest today is a six-time IndyCar race winner. We're joined by the mayor of Hinstown, James Hinscliffe. Hins, it's, um, it's great having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on, and I apologize for my uh, technical ineptitude here. Hey, no problem. And by the way, it was funny. So sa Saturday, I was looking at my email. or It was actually Sunday morning, and it said that you joined our meeting at 2 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> Really? Yeah, maybe it was like some <laughs> weird tech glitch. But I was like, "Why is he joining our meeting Saturday at two a.m.?" Yeah, I was uh, I was definitely asleep Saturday at two a.m. So I'm very curious <laughs> as to who was trying to join your meeting on my behalf. That's uh, that's an interesting one. That's yeah, that that is that sounds about right though. That's about how my technical ability goes. You're doing it in your sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I was just so excited, guys. I couldn't wait. <laughs> well we appreciate well, what, it well i mean we were obviously up so i mean you know we could have done the show yeah that's right a, that's a good question if you saw that that means you were up at 2 a.m on saturday well i actually probably was but i saw the email sunday morning because i got an email saying you had joined the, the ah, media okay and it was sent at like 2 a.m <clears throat> yeah I, there's uh i promise you there are not a lot of zoom calls i would be voluntarily joining at 2 a.m <laughs> Well, oh, man. never know, but, but no, th thanks for being on it. Um, so talk a little bit. So what first got you interested in racing? Wow. Uh, going way back. My, uh, my dad was a big car guy. He was a big racing fan and, uh, I just kind of grew up with that influence, you know? So, um, for me, it was always weekends were, you know, 7am on Sunday, you'd watch the formula one race and then you do your chores and your homework. And then you'd catch the IndyCar race in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, we'd go to the IndyCar race in Toronto, uh, cause it was just around the corner from us. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of how I got into loving the sport. And then, 
I got a go-kart for my ninth birthday and that's kind of how I got into participating in it. So would you say IndyCar was always like your goal or was like Formula One ever kind of in your horizon? Honestly, IndyCar was always, was always my thing because that's what I saw every year, you know, in Toronto getting to go to that race and, you know, chasing around Mario and Michael for autographs and, uh, that was, that was what I always thought was just the coolest. Cause I got to see it in person, you know, and I had, uh, I had the opportunity when I was younger, about 17 to go over to Europe and kind of try to try to, you know, attack the, the formula one path. But it was, it was a bit too young for, for me and my family to think it was smart enough to drop out of school and, and move to a different continent and try and, you know, chase a pipe tree. <laughs> so we uh, decided to stay here and, and focus on trying to make a career in IndyCar. And I guess it was probably the right decision. Oh, absolutely. And so at some point, Greg Moore kind of became like your idol or hero, right? So that was probably when you were younger and were, was going to the races in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. And Greg, uh, Greg's rookie season in IndyCar was the, the year I started racing go-karts. So you know, I'd already been following IndyCar. I was already a big fan of IndyCar and I'd already heard about him, you know, because of his unbelievable light season he'd had the year before. And we kind of heard about this up and coming Canadian guy. And, uh, and so, yeah, my, my first year racing was his first year racing in IndyCar. And so it was just sort of a natural fit and I was just drawn to him. He was a, you know, an incredible driver and just seemed like a really great guy. And, um, he's a, the kind of, the kind of driver that, you know, dad was perfectly happy for me to, uh, to idolize and, and want to grow up to be like. As opposed to Paul Tracy, would that be no just the opposite? <laughs> uh, poor Paul. No, Paul's great. I mean, that's, I look, I was, I was a huge Paul fan. I mean, I, uh, sure. I, I cheered all the Canadian drivers and, you know, watching him, he was so spectacular to watch drive. I mean, it was really checkers or records with Paul, but it's incredible to see what he could do with a race car. And I remember watching him leading the race in Toronto with half a front wing, just making everybody else look silly. So it was, uh, it was cool when he got the championship in 03, especially driving four players. That was, uh, that was a, a Canadian pride moment for sure. Yeah, it's uh, Paul Tracy is one of those guys that unfortunately kind of people have made so many jokes about him and, and kind of his bombastic ways. They, they've really forgotten at his core, brilliant race car driver. 31 and, wins. I mean, it's yeah. uh, the, the, the tragedy is that, you know, he only had the one championship. It's kind of like Michael, right? A, a guy with his right. win record, but just the way luck of the luck of racing fell on them, you know, to only walk away with one title each and in, in two spectacular careers. But uh, no, I mean, Paul was, Paul was as fast as anybody in an Indy car for a very long time. Yeah, no, he, he, he was uh, pretty uh, stellar uh, to say the least. So, um, so when you did the Atlantic Championship, so you actually drove for Forsyth, and that that was um, Greg Moore's team, right? Forsyth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. so that had to be pretty cool to kind of drive for your heroes, you know, past team. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, it was all my heroes' team, right? Because because right. players had a Canadian connection, and you know, they started in IndyCar with uh, Jacques Villeneuve, who I followed religiously in IndyCar, and then in his trip over to F1. Uh, then Greg came on board, Tagliani, Carpentier, PT, uh, really all the Canadians had driven for that team. And so, you know, obviously this was post 03 and the tobacco ban, so it wasn't players anymore, but, uh, Forsyth racing was, was where all those guys and all my heroes had raced and to get to share the shop 
with those guys as part of the Atlantic program was, uh, man, it was absolutely a dream come true. Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was going to say, so, um, <clears throat> so 2008 was your last year with Forsyth. And then I guess that was when the IndyCar merger happened. So then you went into Indy Lights. I mean, was there any difficulty like after, you know, being an Atlantic championship and having the merger where you didn't know where you were going to go or what was the path kind of clear to you at that point? Oh God, no, man. I, what I would have given for something like the road to Indy existing when I was younger, um, you know, I, I went the Atlantic route. I, I kind of bet on the champ car side of the war, which obviously was the losing one. So after spending a couple (laughs) of years in Atlantic and then with the merge happening the way it did, it all kind of went back to square one. And we had to sort of make that lateral move over to Indy Lights and, and sort of start from scratch there and, uh, and and put a couple of seasons in there. So it it, it wasn't very uh, direct. You know, it was a it was a very sort of convoluted route that I took to get there. And, and as a result, I got there maybe a little bit later than I mean, certainly what you're seeing these days. But again, the the road to Indy and that that ladder system that IndyCar have built. Um, really helps streamline that and really helps promote talent younger because that didn't exist when I was around, you know, I think a lot of drivers made it there a little bit, a little bit later than the 18 and 19 year olds you see today. Uh, But I got, you know, I got there at 24, I got there comparatively pretty late, but uh, I don't think that was a terrible thing. I think it it let me arrive to IndyCar with a a bit of maturity and a little more life experience and and racing experience. And, uh, hopefully allowed me to excel a little bit in that first year more than I would have otherwise. At what point, um, and, and you may have done this the entire time, obviously I, I wasn't familiar with you through your road. At what point did you feel comfortable letting your personality show? Cause you're, you're really one of the great personalities, not a great driver, great personalities of the sport. And at what point did you feel comfortable enough to let people see that? Well, well, thank you. First of all, I appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I think it, I think it was always, always something that I, I, I thought about because I looked at, you know, I, I don't know exactly when it was, but I remember, you know, being at the racetrack and, and being a kid, you know, my teens, whatever, and looking around and seeing how many people were just miserable. And I meant by that, I mean like drivers, you know, and I'm like, man, you guys are way too young and way too lucky to be doing this, to be that miserable. And I just, I didn't want to be that guy at the racetrack, you know? And, um, I always, I always am more comfortable and perform better if I'm in a good place and, and having fun. So I just, I just didn't, I never took myself too seriously at the racetrack. You know, I, I was exactly who I am away from the track at the track where I find a lot of drivers are very different people, you know, when they're quote unquote at work. Uh, and when they're, when they're hanging out with their friends on the weekend, but I kind of always enjoyed just being myself. And that was how I felt. I, you know, was in the best headspace and, and was able to perform the best on race weekends. Right. So, um, 2011 sort of first year in IndyCar, what did you have any, you know, we asked a lot of drivers, like, you know, what was your welcome to the big leagues moment? Um, for example, like Jimmy Kai told us, uh, you know, driving down pit road and seeing like Ari Lion Dykes pit sign, like people he grew up watching, he was racing against them, or, you know, maybe it was that someone knew your name, you know, like Mario Andretti or something like, did you have a moment where you were like, man, I'm actually like in the biggest level of my sport right now? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I did. It, it was it was my first race weekend uh, at Barber. You know, we we had missed the first race at St. Pete because we hadn't, you know, we didn't have the funding, and then we managed to find a sponsor. We made it to the second race of the season, and um, I I qualified eighth, and Dario Franchitti qualified seventh, and you know he had actually been a big sort of mentor to me coming up. We had shared a a sponsor when I was in lights. So, you know, my two years in Indie lights, I did a lot of events with him and we had some mutual friends. So he was kind of like big brother mentor to me a little bit when I first got into Indy car. And, you know, at that point, he's already a, a multiple series champion and, uh, and, uh, Indy 500 winner. And, um, we, uh, we were on the grid, you know, the cars were on the grid and through my two years of, of lights, you know, I would walk the IndyCar grid every time because I had a hard card. I was allowed to do it. So I'd walk front to back every single race. And so I was used to being on the grid, but they usually, you know, they have this moment where they blow a whistle and say, all right, if you're not essential, get off the grid. And that's normally my cue to exit. So I heard that whistle and I like started to leave. I'm like, no, wait, I actually am supposed to stay here. And as the crowd cleared off, I saw, you know, my Indy car sitting there. And then I looked to the left and I saw Dario sitting right next to me. And I thought, holy shit, man, like this is real. Like I'm next to this guy on this grid. I, I get to stay now. In fact, I get to get in the car and go drive now. And that was kind of the moment it hit me like a ton of bricks. Right. And I guess just three races after that, I mean, you're literally in the biggest race in the world, the Indy 500. And I'm sure that was a similar experience. And you had probably been to the 500 before 2011, right? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it for the first time in person in 08. And then, you know, you're kind of part of the program in Indy Lights sure. doing the card day thing and Freedom 100 and 9 and 10. Um, but yeah, yeah, obviously 11 was, uh, was a totally different deal just being there all month and uh, understanding how much the whole town gets behind this race from the day the calendar switches over to May 1st, the whole energy here just changes. And, um, you know, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. All anybody talked about back then was like how scary that place was. And it definitely drove and raced a lot differently with the old car than it does this car. And, um, yeah, it was a massively intimidating experience, but man, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. How much sleep do you get on that, on that night before the race? You know, I mean, I've always been really lucky with that. I, uh, I don't think I've had one year where I, where I really sort of struggled to sleep because of nerves. Um, you try your best as hard as it is and it never works, but you try your best to just try to approach it and think about it like any other race. Um, it's, it's hard to do, but, um, honestly, normally Saturday is such a long day for us and they, you know, the, autograph session and the driver's meeting and the parade and all that stuff. And then you have sponsor commitments at night. By the time you get back to bed, you are so, just so white. <laughs> it's actually pretty easy to sleep. You know, I, one thing I was always impressed with you about is uh, the speedway hasn't been the kindest to you. I mean, it, it's been pretty cruel to you and uh, you never let it ever, at least outwardly, uh, seem to affect your approach to it. Um, even like, didn't you like, even in the road course race, didn't you get hit with a, like a brick yeah. or something, right? I, I got hit with a piece of debris and knocked me unconscious. Yeah. yeah. God, I would have been greens back then. Man, I mean, just, I mean, something, it's not a fluke, but it's very uncommon. And, yeah. Uh, I've had a know, lot of one in a million situations there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, um. But I was always impressed that you never, at least, like I said, outwardly let it affect 
your uh, your demeanor at the event because you know I've you see guys and I know you've been around them who something kind of goes bad there and they just get a little sour. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I remember Oriole, my rookie year kind of, you know, told me and, and a lot of guys did. I mean, this is not a this is not a unique uh, you know position to take or, or philosophy to have. But the, the saying is the speedway doesn't owe anybody anything. You know, you've got to earn every opportunity there. You've got to earn every lap you go around there. And it's true. And so, you know, I, I think I had a, a kind of cool old school ish upbringing at the speedway, you know, when, when there was a respect level, I think that's maybe even a little different than it is today. And, um, and, and I think that helped a lot, honestly. Uh, I, I understand how privileged and how lucky every single one of us are to get to go do that. You know, anytime you get to go qualify and, and strap in for the Indy 500, you're one of the 33 luckiest people on the planet. And I have, you know, many guys and girls and many fantastic drivers have had success at the speedway, have had trouble at the speedway, have missed the race, have been injured at that track. And you just keep coming back because Indy's just it's so unique. And I mean, it's really hard. It would have to do something pretty, pretty bad to you for you to not want to come back. And it did something pretty bad to me. And I still came back. (laughs) Yeah, no, it uh, it was. Yeah, like you said, it. Like I said, I guess it's, it's been cruel, man. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, you went from, you, you've had highs there too, of running well and sitting on the pole and, um, you know, really I, that one, the year you sat on the pole, I really felt like you probably least early had the car to beat. And for whatever reason, it just, seem to taper off as the day went as happens there. The, um, do you, did your approach ever change that place at all? Um, and I realized that that was the year after you'd been hurt, but as the, as the, the year started coming and, uh, and one of your best friends had been hurt and Robert Wickens had your approach to the driving changed at all, or at least subconsciously. No, I mean, not, not in terms of the way I, th- I think you mean in the sense of, you know, was I worried about the risk or, you know, would I take the same risks myself? Uh, the accident didn't change me in that respect at all. I will still go for the same gap and, you know, take the same risks and accept the outcomes of those risks. Um, you know, things like what happened to me, what happened to Robbie, they affect you on a personal level, I think more than a professional level, because once you put the helmet on, you just, you don't think like a normal person. It's, it really is crazy. The, the, the transition that your mind goes through in in that situation. Um, So no, I, I honestly don't think so. I think as the years went on, like any driver with more and more experience, you know, at that race, you, uh, you learn how to manage a 500 mile race a little bit better, you know, and and one of my, one of my proudest races, honestly, was, was 2020. Um, You know, we part-time season for us, we were the sixth car at Andretti, which obviously, you know, have a phenomenal track record there and do a great job. Um, But when you're the sixth guy, you get the sixth best everything. It's just how it works and how it should be. The full season guys for sure should get, you know, the, the best stuff, but, um, you know, we qualified, I think third of the team and ended up finishing in the top 10 as the highest finishing team car. And that was just from, from being patient and not pushing issues and 
you know, using the experience of the, you know, however many 500s I'd done up to that point to get us across the line ahead of all of our teammates. I thought that was a, that was a pretty impressive run for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It was. You think it was harder. So we're talking a little bit about your accident in 2015 and also um, Robert Wickens, like on a personal level, like, do you think it was harder to, I don't know, to come to terms, to come back into racing after your own accident or um, after, you know, seeing what happened to Robert Wickens? Because I think for me, like if, if I were to see like my best friend get that hurt, it would probably be harder for me to want to get back into it as if it was just, you know, me that got hurt, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's, um, I, I think, I think that if you're still in a place where you want to drive, there's almost nothing that can stop that, you know, mm-hmm. um, if, if, a, if a situation like that affects you mentally enough to want to hang up the helmet, you were probably one foot out the door already you know, um, cause we are just, just wired differently. And you think back to 30, 40 years ago, how often guys were losing their lives and, um, yeah, how often after that, that happened, everybody strapped their helmet on and, and went back out there and did it. But for me, in a lot of ways, it's, I think it's like anything, like I, I'm the kind of person I'd much rather take a beating than watch someone I care about take a beating, you know, and it was, it was really hard to, to be there with Rob to go through all that. I would have much rather gone through what I did again than, uh, than have to watch Rob go through what he did. It's just, uh, right. it sucks seeing people you care about getting hurt, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm very similar to you in those terms that one thing you see, it's a lot different today than it was 40, 50, 60 years ago. Guys are way more friends today than they were then. You know, it was, they, they didn't have the, at least during racing they didn't have the close relationships but um you just you kind of touched on something there it it is interesting to see um i mean as bad as it is i'm sure you felt it has to be equally as amazing to see everything that uh robbie's come through i mean he's racing you know he's having a child you know it's he's found a way to as all racers seem to be able to do you know, if I can't go over the wall, I'm going to go around it or under it. And, uh, that has to be particularly satisfying. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think all racers and, and I'm sure it's all professional athletes really just have that same sort of mentality, you know, that same grin determination to accomplish whatever it is you set your mind to. And, and that's what allows people to reach that level in the first place. And, you know, Rob's obviously no exception to that. His, uh, his, his mindset from, you know, the, from the outset was always phenomenal. Um, he was one of the hardest working guys I knew in racing before the accident. And he is still one of the hardest working guys I know in racing. And it's, um, you know, it's honestly, most people he's, he shared a tremendous amount of his story and his journey and 99.9% of people don't know 85% of the story. Like it's, it's crazy some of the battles that he's had to fight and things he's had to overcome. And I mean, in, in, in literal terms, he is my hero, like what he has done and what he is, what it's all sort of culminating in, you know, next weekend at Daytona is, uh, is just, it's so awesome. It's so inspiring, but knowing him as I do, it's not the least bit surprising. Right. It'll definitely be really cool to see him back, back in an actual race. And I'm sure he won't stop there. I'm sure he has, you know, many more goals besides just racing in that series. For sure. 
So 2018 was also um, a tough year for you. Um, obviously, you did not make the 500 that year. And I, w- I will say probably one of the most powerful things I've ever seen at IMS was in Gasoline Alley after that qualifier run where you didn't make the race and you came driving through Gasoline Alley on the back of the golf cart. Um, and I mean, you just looked absolutely devastated and everyone just kind of stood there and just started clapping for you. And that was, I, I still remember that's something I'll never forget, just how powerful kind of that moment was. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was obviously, uh, one of those, one of those sort of milestone moments in your career, not necessarily for the right reasons, but you know, moments like that can certainly stick with you just as much as, uh, as a, as a huge victory or something. And it was, you know, it was incredible to see the support of everybody after that. And, you know, I, I've, I've been a fan of the sport long enough that I've seen, you know, Penske go home and I've seen Bobby Ray Hall go home. He was actually one of the first guys to come up to me afterwards you know, back in the bus lot. Um, and you know, it's, it's so devastating in that moment. It's devastating for all your crew guys and all the sponsors and all the fans, you know, but we tried to immediately just focus forward and we knew that it it didn't mean we were never racing again. It just meant we weren't going to race next week. And, um, it was a tough pill to swallow for the whole group, you know, but, uh, we had tremendous support from our partners at the time and from all the people, you know, that follow the series, all the fans, all the people here in Indy. So it was, uh, it definitely made, made it a little easier to, to handle. You know, as you're, you know, that, you know, from that point on your career, um, just starts changing. Right. I mean, you, you, you know, um, you eventually end up back at Andretti for a season and, uh, and then, you know, kind of, you know, however all that played out, you uh you decide hey i'm gonna go into the announcing booth uh, which is where everybody thought you would end up one day hopefully five or six years from now but um i mean as somebody and i'm sure you you have this great personality and you're uh very you know congenial guy but i'm sure underneath all that is this guy is an intense competitor. And uh, how have you been able to look at that and go, all right, so, you know, this is this is where I'm at now. Um, and it's not, I'm not trying to say it's a step down. It's just, it's different because you're not in the car. Um, how have you, how are you able to approach that in the mental space you're able to get into for that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great question. Obviously, it's a, it's a huge transition. You know, there are, there are a couple of factors at play, um, some of them professional, some of them personal. And it was one of those things where I tried to make an unemotional decision about my future and, uh, and really set myself and my family up for the, that next stage. You know, it was, as you said, it was always something I wanted to do. And all the stars sort of aligned where, it just, it made sense in the moment. And again, it's, it's one of those things you really had to look at it from the outsider's perspective and, and not be emotional about it. Um, the landscape of, of IndyCar, you know, and, and just some of the, some of the dynamics of certain areas, what I was staring at was a situation that my big concern was I would fall out of love with racing you know, I would fall out of love with doing it. I never wanted to be the guy that stopped racing because I didn't like doing it anymore. Um, the other, the other thing that, you know, 
not really nobody knows publicly was we did have an IMSA ride, a uh, full season IMSA ride, pretty much done and dusted that got killed for political reasons at the 11th hour. So, you know, I was, I, I, and I, and I said, you know, originally I was not stepping back from racing just, just from full-time IndyCar competition, which still leaves the door open for the 500 maybe in the future. Um, but I was supposed to be kind of dovetailing the the TV stuff with a, a full IMSA schedule that for many reasons, uh, well, one big reason didn't come, come to pass for 22. That's fine. I've, I've accepted that I'm going to have a bit of a gap year, uh, which honestly I'm excited about, um, waking up in the morning and not feeling like, okay, what do I have to do to be better in the race car today has been a nice sort of, uh, weight off your shoulders when the alarm goes off. Um, and it'll, it'll give me the opportunity to, to recharge a little bit, to try a couple other series and one-off deals that I've been flirting with, you know, the last few years and I've always had a desire to do. And then the goal is to be, you know, back to full-time racing in, uh, in 23 back in IMSA. So it's, uh, yeah, it's honestly, it's one of those things where the time is right. If you would ask me five years ago, do I think I'd be stepping back from IndyCar in five years? I'd say no, but that's not how life goes. It doesn't always you know, pan out exactly the way you plan it. And so, you know, like I said, the, the stars aligned in a certain way where the, the smart move was, uh, was the one that we made. And, and I'm, at, I'm at peace with it for sure. Now, would, would you say that changes your, I don't know, ultimate goal? Like I'm guessing the Indy 500 is still like on top of that list of things you, you, you want to win, right? Like that didn't change that at all. No, not at all. Not at all. And if the right opportunity comes up, then, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, if a program, materializes that I think gives us a legitimate shot at winning, um, then I'm absolutely there. I don't have a, a huge desire to just go be a field filler at this point. I don't feel like I have to do that for myself or to prove anything. Um, for all the, all the down days of the speedway I've had, we've had a lot of really good days too, and, and shown our, uh, shown our ability there. So if, if it's the right program, then absolutely. I'll, I'll get back into the 500. How hard was it to go from, um, I mean, full-time racing to doing the broadcasting? Like, how hard is it to actually do the bro? Like, I, I know how hard it is to do a podcast. We started the podcast. We're like, oh, this is easy. But it's pretty tough. Um, and I, I'm guessing TV is even, I mean, 10 times worse than that because you're live on TV. You have millions of people watching you. And, I mean, some people, I mean, like yourself included, I mean, you kind of – you have a talent for doing things like that. So I'm sure it's harder for some people, but how tough was it for you to, to do that? I mean, it's, it's massively challenging, but right. you know, I'll be honest with you. One of the things I think that made me consider this, you know, career option post driving, it was an opportunity I got back when I was driving the Atlantic series to do some, some commentating work, for the international broadcast of the champ car races with, uh, with Jeremy Shaw. And what I can tell you about doing this kind of thing is live television is a rush, man. I mean, it's one thing when you're doing a scripted show, you know, but when you are live, when you can't screw up, when your day is, is measured out to the, to the second, quite literally, and you get curveballs thrown at you and you have to think on your feet and all that stuff. Like, there's these jitters right before you go on air. And then as soon as you're off air, there's this like huge relief. There's just, you know, you look around as a good show, you're high fiving everybody. It's, <laughs> it's obviously not to the same extent of being in a race or in a competition, but it's, it's that kind of rush 
on a, on a different mm-hmm. level. So it's, uh, it is tremendously difficult. It takes an unbelievable team of people to, uh, to pull off those broadcasts. It's there, you know, obviously most people wouldn't understand the, uh, the work going on behind the scenes, but the crew that we've got with NBC there are phenomenally talented, incredibly dedicated. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's fun to be a part of of creating something like that and uh, and helping tell the IndyCar story. I would imagine being on Dancing with the Stars would be even more nerve wracking than that, right? Because I mean, you're dancing on live television, so you definitely don't want to mess up. Well, yeah, I mean, I know what I'm talking about when it's racing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing dancing. So yes, that is much more nerve wracking. Hey, you now, made it to the the final final round, right? You're runner up. I sure did. Still not sure how. I think I think Indianapolis voting for me kept me in the running. Now, as humble as Helio is, and in no way does he ever brag, <laughs> uh, has he has he showed you his uh, disco ball trophy numerous times? Oh yeah, he, he, he loves <laughs> he loves reminding me of that one. I'm shocked. <laughs> so. Oh, um, do you, you have anything else for him, Scott? No, I, the only thing I was going to say is that um, it just it's uh, it's been a it's been great watching your career, and I'm sure your career will continue one way or another. Um, but we talked a little bit about in that you can you're able to step like you kind of mentioned a moment ago. You're actually able to step back from the sport a little bit right now, and as you look at the sport um, through, a, I don't know, I would say a new set of eyes. Um, and, and you're going to get to watch the whole thing kind of in front of you instead of being in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where do you see, where do you see IndyCar racing today versus when you first started versus where you would like to see it in a couple of years? You know, it's, it's, it's a good question. I, I was talking to someone about this the other day. You know, I joined in, in 2011. That was my rookie year. And there's no doubt that the after effects of the merge and, quite frankly, just the, the you know, the, the global financial crisis of 08 was still lingering. Um, you know, we were still struggling to find sponsorship for a lot of cars, a lot of races. The TV package was not tremendous. Uh, we were still very much in recovery mode. And what I can honestly say is that in, in my tenure, you know, I have seen a slow, admittedly, but steady improvement in almost every area of the sport, you know. And um, what, what I said the other day to someone was, I don't think, I think a lot of people look at what happened with Formula One in the U.S. as a result of Drive to Survive, Right. And everybody wants IndyCar to have their drive to survive moment, whether it's because of a TV show or, or whatever it is that makes us blow up overnight, just increase in popularity exponentially overnight. And, you know, that that to me is like trying to win the lottery. You know, that's 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 the kind of people that are obsessed with get rich quick schemes. I'm I'm of the, the mentality and the mindset from from my upbringing that you got to work hard for success. And what I love about IndyCar is I don't think uh, I don't think we need to rely on that drive to survive moment. I think we have been steadily improving in every measurable metric 
over the last decade. And if we just continue this steady growth, you know, that, that eventually becomes exponential. So I think there are certainly things we can do better. I think there are certainly things we can do differently, but on the whole, I think as a group, the, the whole environment, the whole community, teams, drivers, series partners, the series itself, tracks, promoters, everyone is, is moving in the right direction. And, and we're learning every year and we're improving every year. And I think if we keep doing that, you know, to answer the next part of the question, where I want to see us going is I, I just want to see that growth continue. If we can, if we can consistently have those, you know, high single, low double digit growth numbers and all the, all the important metrics, then we are setting ourselves up for long-term success. And that's ultimately, you know, what I want to see for the sport. I think if you look at the past, I don't know, five years, some of the names of drivers who've driven in IndyCar, I mean, obviously the Fernando Alonso movement had a big impact on the sport as well as Jimmy Johnson. Like those are people like 10 years ago, if, you know, someone said, oh, they're going to drive an IndyCar, no one would probably believe you. So I I think that kind of shows how big the sport is getting and, you know, people of of that caliber, like people who are the like biggest names of, of their you know, form of motorsport want to come over to IndyCar. I mean, that just shows how big the sport has gotten. Yeah. And I mean, you look back, I think it started with Rubens coming over, right. you know, yeah. uh, when he retired, mm-hmm. that was big. And then when uh, Kurt well, came Kurt Bush the- too, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, I think, I think all of those were really interesting sort of case studies for drivers all over the place. But, uh, but it's really, you know, the last sort of two or three years, it's just been amazing seeing what, you know, Marcus has done, uh, in his three years in the sport. And then, you know, obviously what Grosjean's done and, you know, with him coming over and then what's even better, frankly, than, than these guys leaving F1 and coming into cars, these drivers in F2 that say, well, Hey, that the F1 dream's probably unlikely. I want to go start a career. I don't want to just be a perennial guy waiting for some government backed driver to, to steal my seat in F1 and, and I not get that chance. I'm going to go to IndyCar and and make a career for myself. And and now I think for the first time in a very long time, we've seen it with Colton. We've seen it with Pato. There's talk of drivers going that way for the first time in a very long time. So now the Christian Lundgaards and and guys like that coming over, this is now a very serious and viable training ground potentially, or, or proving ground, I should say for uh, for a move back across the pond. So it's uh, it's in a tremendous spot. It's a very exciting time for the sport. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm with you on the steady growth side. Um, my concern would be on a, a drive to survive type thing is in when does that rocket ship run out of fuel? You know, when does that peter off and, and then start to crater out? Um, For sure. Because, you know, you the problem is you run into, in, you know, a situation – where let's just say, for example, if Lewis Hamilton decides tomorrow, you know, I've had enough, where does that leave the grid, you know, the fans in F1? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, you know, I would think the numbers would look a lot different. Um, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, but uh, hey, man, you're the kind of guy I could talk to for days. Um, <laughs> you're a funny, dude. You're, going to be your you are an amazing race car driver you're going to be amazing in the booth and uh, i just want to say thanks for taking some time and coming on our show and i know you i know are you are you thinking about starting up your brewery again your uh, beer company 
Yeah, <laughs> we actually are. We're trying to get uh, trying to get it up and going again. So hopefully this season we'll have some more brew on the uh, on the shelves for everybody. There you go. So but one of it's our been my pleasure, bud. What one Thanks. of our so one of our partners obviously is Racer Collect, and Patrick actually helped uh, set this up. So I, I just want to give you a moment to kind of talk about um, the the whole Racer Collect deal, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, racer collect is, uh, is a concept that I think is great. You know, Patrick came in, came to me with it, um, when everybody was locked down at the start of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I told him, I thought it was a great idea to mm-hmm. have sort of a, a community, uh, a marketplace for race fans and, and buying, trading, exchanging memorabilia, um, so, yeah, and, and that's what's so cool about it. It's not just driver gear, you know, it's garage signs, it's qualifying, you know, posts from, uh, from the 500, it's car parts, it's all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great place for, you know, like-minded people with uh, a, a diehard love for motorsports to go and, uh, and try and expand their, their personal collections, which I think is great. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely uh, agree that it's a great idea. Well, um, I, I know you've been waiting to do this podcast on Saturday at 2 a.m. So we definitely, yes. <laughs> we definitely appreciate your time. And um, of course. yeah, it's, it's great to talk to you, James. We appreciate it. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me on. Let's do it again sometime. Thank absolutely. You, absolutely. We'll do. We appreciate it, buddy. All right. See you. Cheers, guys. Really appreciate it.